This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. It is trade deadline week. Welcome into the podcast. I am real happy to have with me a guy you know pretty well, uh, David Weiner, a, a lawyer here in town, and uh, you know him as Bema Thug on the board. David, thanks so much for coming on. I'm happy to be back, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good chatting with you about this because we you know we talk quite often about trades and about the cap and and that's really your uh, forte and and um, have just delivered a lot of great information over the years. So I I'm excited as we enter trade deadline week here to see what's possible. Uh, to kind of discuss a little bit about uh, the rocket situation. It's interesting to me because you know I've, we talked with M K Bauer on the podcast and it's. As this season has progressed, we've pretty much identified, and I think most fans would agree, that this team needs some help at point guard. Uh, Patrick Beverly's been in a in a slump, started out red hot shooting the ball, uh, but has been in a, in a shooting slump, hasn't had quite the defensive impact. Uh, and so we've talked about the need at point guard, and yet here comes Beverly this, this past weekend. Houston's starting point guard goes to the All-Star game and wins the skills challenge, uh, beats out a lot of uh, strong point guards to do it. So it's kind of funny that here we are talking about the Rockets needing a, a boost at the point guard position. He goes out and wins the, the uh, all-star event. Oh, no, it, it was it was spectacular. I um, was watching with my son, and we were going nuts because uh, I even warned him at five years old not to not to be holding his breath for a Patrick Beverly win in the skills challenge. And uh, to see him come back and win the last two rounds from coming from behind, just nailing a three, uh, it was pretty exciting. That said, I don't think this win is going to change much of the calculus for the Rockets and their roster planning. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, I'm happy for him. Uh, a guy who I think has been undervalued. He he has struggled in the last month. I'm not going to uh, deny that. But I think a guy who has had an impact on the Rockets the last uh, couple of years in, in a very positive way, does a lot of the little things um, you know, really is a, it has been in the past a, a very good fit next to Harden. Uh, so I'm happy for Patrick. I think he did a great job this weekend. But uh, you know, as you point out, it's not going to change things. I think the Rockets need a boost here at this position. Uh, and, and when you're talking about this trade deadline and the Rockets, you have to start with one name. It's the guy we've been talking about really since July as uh, somebody you hoped you'd be able to acquire with the Jeremy Lin trade exception and, and assets um, and that's Goran Dragic of the Phoenix Suns, a guy who had a brilliant season last year with the Suns, has experience here with Houston, had a great half season as a starter um, before leaving to go to Phoenix in, um, in 2012 here with the Rockets. So, you know, he's got experience with Coach McHale, an outstanding talent, really is the guy that you would love to see be added here to the Houston Rockets. Oh, no, he's he, he's the perfect fit. I think, you know, what the Rockets probably need most 
is a secondary ball handler who is a plus shooter who can either work off of Harden and catch and shoot scenarios or when teams, and they're increasingly doing so, start doubling Harden away from the ball, trying to get the ball out of his hands, who can create for himself and his teammates, whose name isn't James Harden. So, um, no, I think Goran Dragas checks all the boxes on what the Rockets need. And then to add to that, his salary makes it uh, much simpler to acquire him versus someone like Darren Williams. And I'm not even equating Darren Williams' game to Dragic's. Um, but you know, someone like Darren Williams who makes twenty million dollars, it's just infeasible to even work a trade to get someone like that. Dragic makes only seven point five million this year, um, which is very soon going to increase significantly as he hits free agency this summer. But that seven point five million dollar salary makes it much more feasible to work trades to acquire someone like that. You know, and I have to set this up a little bit uh, differently in that even though we have been talking about Goran all season, it has not looked feasible whatsoever or, or possible until maybe the last week. And I'm not saying it definitely is possible, but there's just some, some small signs that maybe the stars could align here. The Suns have lost five of their last six. I mean, they've been a strong West team all year. Um, matter of fact, there were times they were close enough to the Rockets where you could say, hey, you could make just as much of an argument about the Suns picking up talented players from the Rockets as you could vice versa. So it just didn't seem feasible. Suns general manager Ryan McDonough recently said that the team's roster balance is a little off, admitting that they have too many backcourt players. And Lom Babby, I believe the president of basketball operations, has said that the Suns plan to be active at the trade deadline. Now, granted, that doesn't mean the Suns are going to be a team that's willing to take future pieces and take a step back now. They may be looking for a front court player or somebody that can impact this team and, and give them a push for this playoff run. Uh, they're currently just a half game ahead of the Thunder. I should add as well the ESPN report that says the Rockets do plan to, to make a new attempt at trying to convince Phoenix to part with Dragic. So maybe things are happening here. We'll, we'll see what happens as we get to Thursday, but it's a tough fit to find the exact pieces uh, it's a tough fit because we just don't know what the phoenix suns want in return for Dragic. right and, and you know the, as for the suns themselves you know they really could go from a if you just look at, at the draft picks they own or would be interested in they could really go either way they they still hold their own pick which would is, would probably fall somewhere between 13 if they miss the playoffs to 18 if they hung on and made it, uh, which is a decent pick. If they wanted to use that pick to try to go out and get a big without having to deal Dragos, that option is a possibility for them. But on the other hand, it looks like they are trying to acquire additional picks. Uh, The story that came out probably about a month ago that they're trying to get a first-round pick from Miles Plumlee, uh, who's kind of fallen out of uh, the rotation or is not playing too, too often. They also have what might be the most valuable pick that one team holds owned by the, from another team is they have the Lakers' top five protected first round pick. Yeah, uh, and and that pick might that pick is quite possibly uh, that pick quite possibly could land uh, at six or seven, um, which you know th- that's a very significant asset. I don't see them trading that, but. You know, with the Lakers going full tank mode right now, I think the Lakers are doing everything in their power to minimize the chance that the pick falls out of the top five. 
Uh, and, you know, the Lakers tanking might actually significantly impact what Phoenix does this week. Because if Phoenix uh, becomes increasingly wary of the possibility of them actually getting that Lakers pick this year, uh, it would roll over the next year, uh, they might be more willing to take another team's first-round pick. Because, you know, let's say the, the Rockets, and I will go into it more in a minute, the Rockets offered that New Orleans Pelicans pick, which is likely to fall uh, in similar range to Phoenix's own pick, anywhere from 13 to 18, um, you know, depending on whether or not that Lakers pick's also coming, you don't know whether they're going to want to use to have two picks in a similar range. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but uh, they, they really could kind of echo what you're saying. They really could go either way in their own trade deadline dealings, whether or not they deal Dragic. You know, it seems like the Suns are almost exactly like the Houston Rockets in 2012. I mean, they're right there on that bubble. They're They're sort of trying to do both, right? Where they're building their future assets while not sacrificing that playoff pursuit. And, and just making the playoffs is a, a huge accomplishment for them. They may be the only team uh, in the West that's, that's currently contending for the playoffs, you know, save maybe the, the Pelicans, that is just satisfied making the playoffs. Everyone else seems to have championship aspirations uh, this season. They're in that same sort of mediocrity treadmill. We've got solid players all around. They're, they're point guard heavy, kind of like the Rockets were in 2012. No clear superstars. And they don't have such any holes that makes them say they absolutely need a player here or there. They just sort of have solid players everywhere. Uh, I, I think it would make a lot of sense, and this is just pure speculation, a lot of sense uh, for the Rockets, Jazz, and Suns to sort of hash something out. Ennis Cantor is a guy who's not happy in Utah. That uh, – sort of blew up just before the All-Star break with Rudy Gobert's development. They they probably would consider moving him. You know Utah's a team that would love future assets. And the Rockets, as you mentioned, have that Pelicans pick. Um, they have Clint Capella. They have some young guys that they probably would be willing to sacrifice in order to get a guy like Goran Dragic that can help them win right now without sacrificing anything that's impacting their team at the moment. Yeah, no, they, that's true. They could go that way. They could go, you know... You mentioned the, the parallels between Phoenix right now and the Rockets teams of the perennial 14th pick in the draft. I'll kind of go a step further on the parallel with the Rockets. Um, you could see them, even though they're going to try to remain competitive, you could see them uh, selling off a player like Dragic. And while I think 2015 Goran Dragic is better than either of these players, uh, if you recall back in 2011, the Rockets were increasingly pessimistic about their chances of retaining Aaron Brooks and Shane Battier. Uh, Battier, they believe, was probably going to go try to latch on to a contender and, and, and chase a ring, and he did end up winning two rings in Miami. And I think uh, they realized Aaron Brooks was looking for a bigger payday than they were willing to give. Uh, and so they sold off Aaron Brooks before he hit free agency for Goran Dragic in a first-round pick. Uh, which is how he came to the Rockets in the first place. So even though the Suns, like the Rockets of a few years ago, are trying to rebuild and, and you know maintain a competitive, some sort of competitive edge, uh, it, it that does not preclude them from trading a guy like Dragic. Yeah, he's going to be hitting free agency in a few weeks, and they could lose for nothing. Correct, and that's interesting perspective. I hadn't thought I hadn't gone back to 2011 because I was looking at the parallel at in 2012 when the Rockets didn't trade Dragic. They knew he was going to be a free agent. He sort of blew up uh, at the end of that year. 
uh, and he walked away. So I guess you've kind of got both case studies there and looking at the Rockets for the Suns to mull over and consider. I think the question for a lot of fans on the board is, and we've we, there's a thread dedicated to this, is would you trade Donatus Motiunas for Goran Dragic? Uh, and currently it's about 75% say no, which uh, sort of shows how far uh, Demo has come. So wait, wait, Dave, you mean trade draft bust Donatus Motiunas <laughs> for Goran Dragic? Exactly. You know, and, and, or at least according to one of us, draft bust. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think is amazing is that this guy at the start of the year looked like he was just not going to make it. I mean, he looked like a guy who could not handle himself in the post, um, didn't have the range to, to sort of be one of those, you know, dirt-like perimeter bigs. Um, and you just you, you couldn't see him finding his niche and – Wow, I mean, almost from the moment we had that podcast, you know, he just took off. He's he his averages are twelve and six, what have you. But he is uh, when he gets the ball in the post, he's he's scoring and he's dropping in hook shots from ten, twelve feet out. His post moves are rare, and I think that's you can see a future in the guy. But you know, there still are some questions. You know, his rebounding and and that, and I think that question's a valid one about whether you would trade him because you do have guys in Terrence Jones and Josh Smith who could step in where you don't have uh, the help at point guard. But I, I, I can understand the, the, the uh, hesitance in dealing him. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you said, he's just em- emerged so rapidly since our last podcast when you, Dave Hardesty, declared <laughs> Donatus Martinez to be a draft bust. Um, but yeah, seven-footers, true seven-footers, with the foot, post footwork that Donatus Mutunas has, the ability to finish with either hand, the hook shot, and he's even hitting his threes at a high clip. If you have a seven-footer that can take guys down in a low block and go out and shoot the three, you can count on two hands in the entire league, maybe not even getting to a second hand, those types of players. Another thing to think about uh, with, before you trade Donatus Mutunas is that while the Rockets are very power-forward-rich right now, that could very quickly change. Uh, yes, you would still have Terrence Jones, presumably, who's locked in uh, under contract through next season, but Josh Smith will be a free agent this summer, and it's going to be very difficult to re-sign him to anything remotely approaching his market value. I think you need to count on him to give a, a steep discount to the Rockets for them to be able to keep him. So you can't just count on Josh Smith being back next year. And if you trade Demo, you're looking at Terrence Jones and if you maybe you have Clint Capella coming back and, and, and all of a sudden you become rather light next season at power forward. So um, I would not trade Motiunas for Dragic uh, unless uh, there was a very, very, very strong belief that Dragic would resign this summer. Uh, I, I don't think many people here would take 29 games of Goran Dragic over 111 games of Demo plus his re- restricted free agency rights in 2016. Sure, so sure. Uh, that, 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 that would be a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and, I, and if somebody was to come in with a, a max offer for Goran, I can understand you know, there, there's a possibility he could leave. I still think holding his bird rights would, would give you an advantage, but we can talk about that in a minute. I just... I look at this, and, and again, I, I hesitate as well to trade Demo. I'd much rather give up the future assets for a guy like Goran 
but you're talking about a guy who some people last year, I mean, I think even B-Ball Breakdown created a video asking this very question, is whether Goran was the best point guard in the league at that time. He ended up being third-team All-NBA, has experience with Rocket coaches, as mentioned. He understands how the front office operates with advanced stats. And his contract, you know, which is almost assuredly going to expire this offseason because he's not going to pick up that player option at $7.5 million, is ideal for Houston's flexibility. And it's ironic that we can look back at that um, right now and say that it is the right fit contract-wise because that exact same contract is the one the Rockets weren't willing to give him that basically had him go to Phoenix. And instead, the Rockets gave a three-year deal without the player option to Jeremy Lin. And when they tried, you know, when they had to move Jeremy Lin, it cost the team multiple draft picks to do it. And Goran Dragic's contract right now would probably net multiple draft picks. So it's kind of an interesting situation that for flexibility reasons, they kind of went a different route and it actually made it less flexible uh, for the team. But I, I think what my point overall is that, you know, Goran's contract, Goran's the player, the fit, uh, you know, being a lefty next to Harden and all lefty backcourt could potentially be lethal. There's just so many positives, so many things about this that makes him the perfect fit. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, you talk about his contract, you know, if only Dragic had been uh, charitable enough to not require a player option, he now ended up not even using or most likely will not be using, you know, maybe we wouldn't even have to have this conversation. He would have been a rocket already. Um, but on the flip side of that, as far as the, his value and, you know, contractually, the fact that he will be a free agent this summer, most likely a free agent this summer, and that he will command a max or near max contract does adversely affect his trade value for the Phoenix Suns, or at least what they can extract for him. You know, you look at at the Timothy Mozgov trade from Denver to Cleveland, and while most people agree that that Cleveland probably gave up too much for him, and most of that was because uh, Denver had Cleveland over a barrel. They were, you know, they were desperate for a center. Um, one of the reasons that Denver could command that return for Mozgov is he had a cheap team option for next season that is going to be really beneficial to the Cavs now. Goran Dragic has a player option that he most likely will not pick up, and whoever acquires him is going to have to pony up some big money this summer if they want to keep him. So the the short remaining term of, of Dragic's deal creates problems both for Phoenix and what they can get for him and for whichever team acquires him and on their ability to keep him. Because um, if he commands a max salary based on where the cap is currently projected, you're looking at a starting salary of between 18 and 19 million. And if the Rockets wanted to lock him up to the maximum five years, you're talking five years, maybe up to 105, 110 million dollars. That's a lot of money, and uh, I know there's some people out there who really, really want to get Dragic, but at the same time, there's no way they would pay him all that money. Well, there needs to be a reconciliation of those two views if you want to go out and get Goran Dragic. Maybe the Rockets can get him for a lower salary like Toronto did, resigning Kyle Lowry for $12 million per, but you won't have those guarantees when you trade for him. So you need to be careful before you give up a Donatus Motiunis or that Pelicans pick or Clint Capella or whatever you, they may demand, that those are some major dollars committing 
to Dragic. Now, with the cap going up significantly in 2016, even an $18 million salary won't be quite as bad uh, in a couple of years as it would be today. But still, that's a major significant financial commitment that they would need to make to Dragic if they want to keep him more than 29 games. And you might have to. I mean, the Lakers may be looking for a little bit of Dwight Howard payback with their cap room that they have available. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, really now is the time where the Rockets have an advantage over the Lakers because the Lakers really don't have many trade assets left to deal. They've traded all their picks away in the next few drafts. So uh, if you were going to beat the Lakers out at all, now's the time. And then when the Lakers come with, come fishing with all their cap room this summer, uh, you better be willing to beat them out. And one other note on that, at that salary, if that was the case, and we are pretty far down uh, speculationville, but if that was the case of max salary, that's uh, Goran Dragic getting paid more money than James Harden. Yeah, but I think that emphasizes more what a bargain James Harden is going to be, especially when the TV, new TV money kicks in. He's going to very rapidly fall down the list of the league's highest paid players uh, to the point where by the time he's finishing up his current deal, he's going to be just an absolute sweetheart deal. So uh, credit to Daryl Morey and uh, taking a chance on him with a five-year, not a four-year deal, and uh, it's worked out rather well so far. Yeah, and you know, Servet, you know the cap and the team's cap situation where the NBA is headed better than anybody. Uh, Is trading for Goran, whether this week or, you know, a sign-in trade in the summer, is that about the only way they're going to get Goran? I think people are under the impression, hey, why trade for him now? We can just sign him in the summer. Um, I think especially now that uh, the players' union has uh, just the other day rejected a league uh, proposal to smooth the the cap increase that's going to hit in 2016 when the new national TV money comes in, there was some hope that uh, the, the league and the union might agree to uh, artificially inflate the cap this summer by a few extra million in order to ease the transition into the new TV deal. Um, the, the unions rejected that, so it's now looking increasingly unlikely that we'll have anything above the projected cap figure of about 66 to 68 million. And um, you know, given that reality, the Rockets will most likely not have very much cap room this summer. Uh, in fact, with some of the guys they have, like Corey Brewer and Josh Smith, um, guys hitting free agency, it, it probably isn't even all that beneficial for them to go the cap room route uh, if they want to kind of keep keep the core of this team together. Uh, so given that, signing Dragic as a free agent, you know, the Rockets will have probably anywhere from – Seven to ten million this summer. Dragic is going to command a lot more than that on the open market. You know, Daryl always seems to uh, find somebody or acquire somebody that we really hadn't considered or was just a passing mention by fans. You know, I don't know what other possibilities on the trade front that this team could could pull off. I mean, Mo Williams was mentioned in the past, but you you have to consider that the that uh, you know whoever Daryl has to acquires here and gives up something significant for, and let and I would think that the Pelicans pick, for example, would be considered significant. You know, Kevin McHale has to play that player, has to play him minutes competing with Beverly ahead of Jason Terry, ahead of Isaiah Cannon, who's not playing at all right now. So it, it needs to be a, a good player. It can't just be a, a guy who 
is an NBA player. It needs to be a, a point guard who can who can impact this team. So it's it's kind of a tough situation. I almost look at it like, as Goran or Bust because I'm not sure a guy like Ty Lawson becomes available or some other point guard is going to hit the market. But what what other possibilities are, are you know what do you think happens with this team if they're not able to get Goran or something else doesn't doesn't pop up? I mean you've still got a guy like Shved who they acquired just to flip. Right. I mean, I, I think to reiterate your point, you know, the, it's kind of the, the curse of success when you get an NBA roster to such a level that there are fewer moves that can improve the roster as it's already constructed. And I think that's where the Rockets are. I mean, Dragic clearly improves this roster, but outside of him, there are few moves that dramatically would improve this team this year. Um, but again, you know, we've seen deals over the last several years when the Rockets traded for Kyle Lowry, when they traded for Marcus Camby, when they traded for James Harden. These are all moves that kind of came out of left field and no one was even thinking about them. So, you know, we, we could sit here and try to brainstorm on names, and I think all you got to do is, a, is a click over to the BBS on, on, on Clutch Fans and you'll see, you know, this name and that name thrown out there. And... You know, at this point, I've almost thrown up my hands, given up trying to guess. Um, and, and I just kind of chalk it up to mystery player X we never saw coming or mystery player Y that three people saw coming among a sea of names thrown out there. And, of course, they'll all raise their hand and go, see, I told you so. Um, but, you know, right now you, you could see other moves, you know, things that I've been thinking about rather than just, just naming names of uh, – of good players that can prove the roster, uh, you could see the Rockets punt. And, um, you know, most obviously is just not make a trade, but we know that's, I think, um, uh, Daryl Morey may keel over and die if he doesn't make a trade on, <laughs> on February trade deadline. I think uh, he just can't do that. Um, but uh, short of doing nothing, one thing you might see them do is try to flip some contracts for non-guaranteed salary next year. So, for example, I'm just throwing out a few names that I know have non-guaranteed deals for next year. But guys like uh, Ben Gordon or Luke Ridnour from the Orlando Magic or Karan Butler on the Detroit Pistons or uh, Trevor Booker on the Utah Jazz, those are all guys who have largely non-guaranteed contracts for next year. Most of them, the, the guarantee date is going to be July 1. So really all that would do for you is you could postpone your trade period to draft night when you could maybe combine Costas Papanikolaou's non-guaranteed contract with a few million of extra non-guaranteed salary. You might be able to, um, to, to deal for a significant player. Maybe you throw in a couple of picks with those non-guaranteed deals. You find someone trying to do a salary dump. Um, or you could go for the crown jewel of non-guaranteed contracts, which is Brendan Haywood. Uh, he's currently with the Cleveland Cavaliers, barely plays, but his contract is one of the most unique trade assets in the entire league. Uh, it is a very unique quirk and a product of the amnesty rules under the new CBA uh, because the contract that Brendan Haywood signed with the Dallas Mavericks about five years ago he had the final year of his deal was fully non-guaranteed. And what that meant under the amnesty rules is if you had a player with a contract like that, and there are very few players who did have their contract structured that way, while Cleveland and Charlotte before them 
we're only paying the amnesty partial waiver bid portion, which is about $2.2 million. On July 1, his contract will balloon from $2.2 million to about a $10.5 million non-guaranteed contract. And so what that would enable teams to do is, if you had Brendan Haywood's contract, as soon as the July moratorium ends, you could trade his contract, and you could even package him with other salary if you'd acquired him uh, enough months in advance. Um, you could, could can trade him for up to $15, $16 million of incoming salary. It's like free cap room. Plus, you could combine him with other players' salaries, so it's almost better than cap room, except that you'd have to get another team to, to do a trade with you. So he's kind of the crown jewel of non-guaranteed contracts. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers realize this. They fleeced the Charlotte, the Charlotte Bob, Bobcat Hornets when they were just changing their name uh, to get him in the first place, and I think they realize he's one of their, their best remaining trade assets. But if Daryl Morey could get a hold of Brendan Haywood, I know some people would say, huh? <laughs> Brendan Haywood, he's not even good. Well, that would his contract's what they would, would could possibly be after. But again, these are all backup plans if they can't get a key player to really improve the roster this season. So yeah, this is going to be a tricky uh, trade deadline. If it's not Goran Dragic, you know, you, you wonder what this team's going to end up doing because I don't know who's out there that this team would move the Pelicans pick or move Clint Capella for. Granted, everything we've heard from Daryl Morey, and it hasn't been a whole lot this year. He hasn't been on the radio uh, as you know every week like he has in years past. Um, it's been focused on this is the year. You know, we we when you have a guy like James Harden who's gonna, having an MVP year, you've got to go for it. Um, and so they've got to balance going for it with knowing, hey, maybe there's not somebody out there just an incremental upgrade that's worth giving up these valuable pieces for. So. We'll know by Thursday. I mean, that's absolutely right. The, the you know people there. There are a lot of people who would view the Rockets not making a major trade as some huge disaster. But you know, like you said, you other than Goran Dragic, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so you know, people need to look at that Pelicans pick as you know, it's most likely going to fall thirteen or fourteen. That is a good young player on a four-year cheap deal, paying about two million a season. That's a really nice asset for the Rockets' own roster, not just to use in trades. We've touched a little bit on the trade deadline. I want to talk to you just in closing about what you thought about the Charles Barkley, uh, Daryl battle that they had going on last week. And everyone jumped on it being sort of this analytics discussion, which I really thought missed the point. To me, the point for, as a Rocket fan and something you know we've watched from Barkley for years is just sort of this consistent Houston hate. What was your take overall on that whole situation? <laughs> it's funny. That, yeah, for for years, I've heard Barkley on national television uh, trashing the Rockets, and, and he's not shy about letting everyone know that in his mind, Les Alexander owes him $3 million. And it's part of the reason I've let I've cut Charles a lot of slack over the years is that, you know, back in 1998, Charles took a massive pay cut kind of unprecedented pay cut. He took $1 million for one year from the Rockets so they could go out and sign Scottie Pippen. It was one of the most selfless financial moves I've ever seen any player do, and that's created a lot of goodwill from my perspective with Charles Barkley. Um, And I think he feels that um, he was supposed to get a little bit more money on the back end, but he uh, (laughs) – 
ended up, uh, I guess, uh, according to him, less maybe shortchanged him by three million dollars. So he's been uh, he's been hating on the Rockets for quite a while. But I think he's he's stepped he he he's crossed the boundary with me. Well, he he he's really bringing down a straw man. And I think uh, Zach Lowe's made this point too by saying that uh, you need talent over analytics, which is not really the issue. Analytics is just gathering information to help you win basketball games. No one has ever disputed that talent is the most important thing. And Daryl, I think, has made it quite known that his mission since taking over uh, and trying to replace Yao and Tracy was to get superstars and trying to get James Harden and Dwight Howard. Uh, no one has ever argued that analytics is a replacement for talent. It is merely a supplement. And for Charles to kind of go on this diatribe and make it really, really personal uh, with Daryl and and other people in analytics was, I mean, I'm just shaking my head. It's all pretty ridiculous. But you know what? TNT's uh, crew there, uh, the in-studio show, is terrific entertainment, and that's really what you have to look at it is. It's not competent basketball analysis. It's just really good entertainment. Yeah, you know, and, and that's true, but I think I look at it like, hey, this is the most popular show uh, as far as basketball is concerned. It's out there. It's national show. Everyone who is a basketball fan is generally watching the, those games and, and watching what Charles has to say about the news. So I think that when, you know, there's been so much of this anger towards Houston in general and, and it skews his his analysis, I think it's just it's kind of more thin with me and I think with a lot of other Houston fans. I mean, you know, I was talking even before he went on this rant that night about and before he even mentioned the defensive thing that it must be killing him that Houston's come in to, uh, in third in the West that night because, you know, the Rockets, uh, you know, they were completely ignored by Chuck. He said he didn't look at him as a contender whatsoever, um, you know, completely dismissed them all around. And here they are coming in at third in the West. But I think, it, you know, and I don't really want to get too much into the analytics aspect of it because I thought that part uh, that he that he made it into that was silly. But you know, it's interesting, Daryl, you know, he sort of used analytics, and don't get me wrong, I think everyone recognized James Harden as a talent, but I think there were a lot of people, and Barkley was one of them, who didn't view uh, James Harden as a superstar, didn't think he'd be a guy who could carry a team, uh, looked at him simply as a Manu Ginobili type, um, and there are quotes that, that uh, show that Barkley felt that exact same way, did not view him as a superstar player, Daryl did. And I'm not saying that was strictly analytics, but Daryl looked at the complete picture, not just what he saw with his eyes, as Barkley did, um, and you know, sort of found a superstar, if you will, um, in, in in a different way. And I think, um, you know, Charles sort of showing himself to be this dinosaur uh, just I thought it made himself made himself look really bad, uh, whether he's an entertainer or not. I mean, you could you could talk about that all day. I think. People are, are they're still looking at him to, to basketball analysis, and it made him look pretty silly, in my view. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> well, man, thanks so much for coming on. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna be uh, watching the wires this week, see what happens. Uh, I'm excited to see what the Rockets can do. I, I do think they need something to to consider themselves a contender. I think with teams like Golden State out there that are just so efficient from the three point line. I think it's going to be very hard for the Rockets to go to the West Finals, go to the NBA Finals without a boost here, a guy who can hit some threes efficiently. I think what we saw in the final game before the All-Star break against the Clippers, that is rare, but it's 
it shows what is possible when you have a, a guys who aren't great three-point shooters taking five to ten a night. And it's possible that all of them will, will fail uh, quite a bit. So I think they could use a boost there. Let's hope they're able to pull off something and, and something good will happen. Well, I mean, you know, w- one last thing to consider is that you might have an answer, not the greatest answer, but an answer on, uh, sitting on the bench right now in Isaiah Cannon. Um, while I know his last bit of non-garbage playing time was not very good, uh, his, his playing time has been inconsistent, but when he actually got real minutes, he produced rather well for the Rockets as both um, a three-point shooter and a guy who can create his own shot. And, um, you know, I know there's a faction of people, I think uh, MK and myself both included, who uh, who thinks that uh, that Cannon should probably be given a little bit more run, maybe Terry's minutes reduced uh, by a few to, to to make some room for Cannon. And, um, you know, if, if nothing else gets done, I'd like to at least see uh, Mikhail give Cannon uh, more of a shot. You know, he certainly played really well when Beverly went down and they, they decided to start Cannon and cont- continue to use Terry off the bench. You know, and I don't want to say this out there just that it's 100%, but just kind of what I have heard. I don't think he's the best um, practice player. I don't think he's a guy who has uh, sort of been driven to improve. I think he sort of believes he's he's good enough or he's very good. He should be playing that kind of thing. Um, but, again, that's just, uh, you know, rumor and gossip talk. I think whether he plays or not is probably up to him. I think he's got to make some strides and, and uh, get Mikhail's eye to, to get some significant time. Thanks so much for coming on. It's uh, always a pleasure to, to chat with you about uh, the team, the cap, uh, possible trades, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what happens. It's going to be a fun week. Yeah, I'll try to get as much work done as I can. It's going to be tough, though. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.